you are what you eat. By that I mean what you consume is going to be what you create. Welcome to Escaping the Ordinary Podcast. If you are ready to be the best version of yourself and level up your life, stay tuned as we interview special guests who will bring you all of the latest and greatest tips, skills, and know-how to make you the best that you can be. We know that you have it in you, and we are going to show you how with your host, Ryan T. So I just want to welcome Eric Ronald, a wedding photographer based out of Melbourne in Australia. Someone that caught my eye when I first started in the photography, I think going on five years ago now, and I'm really wrapped to have him with me today. Looking forward to jumping into his business, everything about Eric and how he's paved the way that what we see today. So welcome, mate. Oh, thank you very much, Ben. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, nice, mate. So you're located in Melbourne still? Yeah, I am. I have a son down in Warrnambool, which is my hometown. So I kind of, I do spend a lot of time down there. So I kind of have two homes in a way. Gotcha. And so your son's name's Fox, is that right? Correct. Yep. Tell me, let's get straight into it. Fox, how did you come up with that one? Well, at the time I lived in Eltham and uh, which if you're a Melbourne person, you know Eltham, but if not, it's kind of a little bit of a ways out of the city up north. I think they call it the Green Wedge. It's kind of gum trees and hilly and beautiful part of the city if you want to call it that but when I'd shoot weddings in summer driving home at like midnight I'd always encounter these foxes like really close to home just these kind of suburban streets and I would just kind of like stop my car and the fox would just be looking at me in the middle of the road and to me it was just always a really special encounter I mean let, putting to one side that they're an introduced pest, of course. <laughs> they're just, there's something special and uh, mysterious and intriguing and complex. And I mean, when it really boils down to it, I guess it, to me, it represented a special encounter was really what it came down to. Beautiful. So I want to jump into it. Being a father myself, I know my answer to this question, but do you find that like, how old's Fox at the moment? He's six. He's six. So you've been doing this for a while now. Do you find having fox in your life now like your work's changed and gone a different path absolutely and I guess to kind of take a step back from that is that I've changed I think the two kind of major turning points in my life was was losing my brother in 2007 and then having my son fox I just two major turning points that have affected me big time you know with fox I mean there's just so many facets you could dive into as far as how he's changed me but in a photography sense uh, there's something so inspiring about a child's curiosity about the world and what surrounds them as an adult we apply all these kind of layers of judgment and analysis that a kid doesn't do you know if you if you're out in the garden and there's a a bug it could be like an earwig for example in fact an earwig's a perfect example because if you're out in the garden, you'll see earwigs all the time. They're not that special from an adult point of view. It's like, oh, you see them all the time. Who cares? Whereas a kid will look at it and go, oh, my God, it's got these crazy, like, pincer things on its butt and, like, this thing's awesome. And they just have this pure curiosity that, that I love and, and enthusiasm as well. It's like, you, you know, I spend a lot of time with Fox in the car driving between Melbourne and Warrnambool and just his amazement at, could even just be a like a cool car or a digger or a dump truck or, mm. a, or a building. There's just an appreciation 
for the world, which sometimes we forget as these boring adults with adult problems and worries to just kind of smell the roses a little bit, you know? Mm, it's really interesting. I mean, being a father myself, I just always come back to like that time spent together just grounds you sometimes in the moment, right? Like, yeah, rather than always looking forward to the future and trying to push the boundaries, it's like an air week, right? Like that's intriguing. And and do you find like you take that into your approach? I mean, if the listener out there is listening and they haven't checked your work, obviously I always recommend jumping in and checking it, but you have this incredible portfolio, Eric, like, like I said, mate, you come on my radar a long time ago and I definitely want to delve into how you started and, and when you started, but I can't put a word to your, your style. And I, I don't know if you can, but it seems to be like a variety of like high fashion plus documentary plus like creative experiments. Could you delve into that a little bit? Well, I guess just to kind of touch on the, um, how we've kind of jumped into kids. Mm. I, I just, I see what I do as playing. And if you were to do an adult perspective of wedding photography slash business perspective, you could go, oh, you need to have a consistent product. Your style needs to be completely cohesive mm. from one wedding to the next and kind of look at it that way. And I really couldn't look at it in a more opposite way, which is just to play with photography. And there's just infinite possibilities and, and so many genres and inspiration we can draw on. And I guess to just, yeah, apply that childlike curiosity, whether it's an exotic location or just an interesting character, the bride or groom might have something, something really kind of unique about them that you kind of can go, all right, how can I play with this? How can I dive into this and and make a photo that uniquely portrays them? And that photo and that style of that photo wouldn't necessarily apply to the bride or the groom the following week either. So Mm. I guess, yeah, play and curiosity and experimenting kind of all these kind of pillars of how I roll, I guess. So Eric, then do you feel like you had that like when you first started in photography? Or do you think that's developed over the time now finding your own voice? I always had it. And I guess that over the years, I've got more tools in my toolkit to dive deeper into that. When I started having less experience and kind of less maturity, less creative kind of repertoire, it just was more restricted, I guess. And I'm sure in years to come, I'll say that about me right now. It's a, it's a constantly evolving kind of thing if you kind of approach this whole thing as an artist. It's interesting because obviously you've heard the saying, Eric, where a lot of photographers say, you know, you don't practice or play at a wedding. You know, you've got to go, go, go. Do you do anything outside of like the paid work realm where you are practicing these, these skills, these crafts that you've got? Because when... When any listener is going to jump on your Instagram, they're going to see a variety of dark and moody, light and airy, and then backflash, like backlit, and then black and white, and then drone work. And there seems to be so much. So do you just throw something in the works at a wedding or do you go out proactively and practice that? Uh, Well, yeah, I guess that's where I'm like probably going to have a very different perspective to to those things you touched on, to probably Mm. most people you talk to because, I mean... I guess a, a lot of photographers would say, you know, it's all about your personal work, you know, do personal work. And I'm all for that. I tend in, I guess, in recent years, especially with commitments with being a dad and 
just life in general, I don't necessarily have the time and, to be honest, a desire to do other work. Wedding photography is my art. It is my passion. And that is where I play. That is where I experiment. That's where I succeed. And that's where I fail. So on a wedding day, I play and I experiment and I force myself to experiment. And we can kind of, yeah, like touch on that as well, as far as being accountable to, to yourself with trying new techniques and ideas. But I definitely, I, I, yeah, I definitely experiment on a wedding day. There is something that we can kind of touch on there, which I think is important because it's one thing to kind of, I guess you could interpret what I said just then is kind of going in and really not thinking about much else other than going, oh, I'm going to muck around. Mm. And you could potentially uh, screw the pooch if, if you purely did that. An approach that I have is kind of, I don't have a shot list in mind on a wedding day, but I tend to tick the box in whatever that may mean in that part of the day, in that moment, and fulfill my obligations, if you like. And I'll still try and do an awesome job and I'll still be very mindful of it, but tick the box in the sense of fulfilling the obligation. And then I've created some time and space to breathe and to experiment. And it means that if I do something that completely fails, it never even needs to see the light of day, or it could be something awesome that the couple likes, but isn't necessarily something that I want to shout from the top of a mountain about. Yeah, I think that that applies in lots of parts of the day. I guess the, a good example of that is the portrait session because you do want to have a diverse, beautiful variety of shots to give the bride and groom. You wouldn't necessarily want to jump straight, well, I wouldn't necessarily want to jump straight into some kind of crazy concept that may not work mm. at the beginning of a portrait session. But if I've got all these shots that I know that I'm going to be stoked with, the couple are going to be stoked with, then I might have bought myself some time to go, you know what, guys, you know, with this last few minutes, do you mind if I, I try this idea and something I've been thinking about and let's give it a shot? And yeah, sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't. And I think that's part of how I approach what I do. And I think the couples that I work with are on board with that as well, that it's unknown. Something Todd Hunter McGore said many, many years ago, which has always stayed with me, is he talks about the relationship with a couple as a collaboration. And I really like that terminology. And I guess by that, it's every time that you work with a couple is going to create images that are unique to that. And it means that it's unknown and it's exciting and it's uncharted territory. And I think with that approach, you can give yourself the range to experiment and explore on the day. So i got two questions on that, Eric. So first one, do you communicate that with your couples? So, I mean, yeah, a lot are going to see this experimental play when they see your portfolio and this diverse skill set that you have. But do you also like communicate, hey guys, like if we're going to have X amount of time left, you know, we're going to play together and we're going to, or even on the wedding day as such, when you're doing your portraits, do you communicate that you're trying a new thing or setting up this photograph to be like this? And yeah, how do you go about that? Yeah, there's a few different answers to that, but I think with the foundation of trust with the couple, that's not necessary or required. There might be a certain time, for example, like a drone shot might require something that I do occasionally and sometimes uh, is that something you would have seen other photographers do as well is obviously with a drone you can get a bird's eye perspective and that really kind of encourages you as a photographer to start thinking about 
laying the, uh, the couple flat on the ground or something like that. So if you're going to ask a couple to do that, you're going to launch the drone, you're probably going to explain <laughs> a little bit about <laughs> what you're doing. So of course, yeah, there's that aspect of it. But I would like to think that coming into a wedding day, a couple is going to fully trust me. They've chosen me because of the work that I produce. And then after that, we've got to know each other and establish trust and a connection with each other. So they are kind of happy to be passengers on this kind of adventure that I, I take them on in a sense. And so it means that they will just kind of be guided by me and there is a lot that I'll have in my mind that they won't be aware of. They'll just be kind of guided by me and, and the right kind of couple won't really question that and they'll be quite happy to, to kind of be passengers in that. And then also on that, Eric, I appreciate that. But on that, obviously play and all of this takes time, right? So yep. do you factor that play time in when you're helping couples if, or even if you do talk to them about logistics of their wedding day? I mean, obviously if they give you 10 minutes for portraits, I mean, how much play can you do? So do you factor that into your consideration? Absolutely. And I think that's where there's a really an interesting component to how I approach my creativity. It can be very spontaneous, uh, a, a magic shot. It can just happen. But something that I really try and do is be really accountable to myself. And part of that is planning. So location scouting and looking at the schedule, talking to the couple about schedule, timing, sunset times and all that kind of groundwork. Then following that, I would be taking some kind of shop notes. So for example, if I know that I've got, well, I'd always try and have roughly an hour for a portrait session. Any more than that is overkill for me. Anything less than that tends to not be quite enough to have mm -hmm. that breathing room for the more creative stuff. And so I'll have an idea of how much time we've got, where we're going to be, what the light's going to do. And then within that kind of the confines of that go, all right, well, of course I'll try and do a portrait session that's going to have a diverse range of shots. But also what ideas do I want to try? What are some kind of techniques that maybe I haven't done before? Or a film that I saw on the weekend might have given me a little bit of a hit of inspo of a technique to try or, or, or a concept. So I really try and pre-plan and really by writing it on my, my photography schedule, I'm making myself accountable to follow through on that. And that has been, so I started doing that very early on in, in my wedding photography career and I've, I've just done it ever since. And, and man, it's been a game changer for me because it's one thing to give yourself all this inspiration and have all these cool ideas, but in the adrenaline and the fast-paced nature of a wedding day, you'll be in your car on the way home and go, oh, man, I didn't do that thing I was going to try. And it's amazing how many weddings and how many even years can go by if you don't make yourself accountable to kind of follow through and execute those ideas. So Eric, you said shot notes. So you write down your shot notes. So on your run sheet, can you explain a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, in a portrait session, there's plenty of notes that I don't need. I want to be familiar with the location and I want to have an idea of what the light's going to do. And then from there, I will go into kind of how I would approach each portrait session, which is moving the couple around, playing a bit with light, working the angles, 
few different poses, a few different combinations of shots that I don't really need notes for. What I like to make notes for is, let's say it is a particular idea, whether it's a technique that I want to do. So like, for example, a few months ago for the groom getting ready shots after hanging out with the couple a little bit on a pre-shoot on the wedding day, I'm like, I'm just going to just muck around with dragging the shutter with the groom getting ready. No, not popping a flash or anything, just dragging the shutter. And so it could be on during the, in the shot notes for the groom getting ready. I might just put a little asterisk and just put like shutter drag question mark. And it's enough for in that moment when it's, you know, it can be pretty rushed. I'll just see my little note there and go, oh yeah, remember to try that. You know, there was, I did it a little bit once the groom was kind of getting dressed and once he was suited up and I got some shots that I, that I kind of enjoyed and, and I wouldn't have done that had that note on there. Mm, that's really interesting. And so, Eric, you said your location scout. Do you location scout every wedding, even if you've been there before? Uh, if I've been there before, not necessarily, but sometimes I would because, you know, like we talked about as far as getting inspiration from our kids, seeing things with a fresh pair of eyes can be good. If it's a location I haven't been to for a few years or even if I was there a week ago, to kind of walk through it and try and see it with a fresh pair of eyes I think is is beneficial. Obviously, with the destination work that I do, research online, whether it's Street View, whether it's Google Images, I try and avoid seeing wedding photography that's been taken at a location before. I try and kind of avoid looking at wedding photography in general, especially when location scouting and trying to come up with ideas. And so during your location scouting, Eric, is that where you're taking those mental notes or actually physically writing them down where you can kind of see how the light's falling I don't know, in the reception venue and you're like, wow, we could do something here. Is that where you're being proactive and writing those down? Maybe. I mean, my initial answer, as you said, that was no, but of course, sometimes there could be inspired by a certain architectural detail or, or a pocket of light when you're walking through, I'm sure. But generally how it works is I'll location scout, I'll let the place wash over me. I won't put pressure on coming up with ideas on the location scout on the spot because generally they don't and I'm not going to force it. So I'd kind of location scout, be familiar. Like I say, just let the whole surroundings wash over me. Then it's probably more like in the days leading up to the wedding where I'll be just in my lounge room at home going over the notes and just doing a few scribbles with pen. I spent a lot of time looking at work that inspires me. And and that might be another topic that we kind of touch on um, in our chat today. But the point being that, yeah, it's more just kind of being in my, in my space at home where I'll kind of write down a few different kind of shot ideas, I guess. And so I want to keep diving into this because it's really unique perspective. And I'm sure you, you know, it is, you know, probably a lot of photographers, but a creative block, I'm sure you've heard of it. And the listeners out there probably have also heard of it or even witnessed it. Have you ever felt like you've had a creative block? Because it sounds like you're so proactive and, and pushing your skill set, whereas so many others in the moment and just kind of going through the process. Do you have a creative block at any times or do you find that you're working through it by doing this process? Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly what you said. I mean, of course, inspiration and creativity ebbs and flows. And I think that's why making yourself accountable is the best thing you can do. If I said to you, Ryan, like next week when the bride's getting her makeup done, 
use off-camera flash. Mm. If you just wrote that on your sheet or you had that filed away in your mind, how are you not going to be creative with that? Because I assume that's not something that you would do typically on every single wedding. You're forcing yourself to push yourself out of your comfort zone and do something you wouldn't usually do. And that, that puts you in a creative frame of mind. With weddings, we do weddings week in, week out. We know the routine and the kind of the opposing force of creativity is routine and repetition. And so if you make yourself accountable to step out of that repetitive mindset, just by that example of using off-camera flash during the makeup shots, you will be creative and you will produce something you haven't produced before. So that's how I combat that ebbs and flows of kind of inspiration or creative block as you worded it. And then so as well, staying on this, because I love this approach, Eric, you know, do you ever find yourself frustrated, right? Like a lot of photographers obviously may not have the skill set to use off-camera flash, but want to kind of practice with it. But when you started with it and delving into these skills that you've developed now, did you ever find yourself like... spent 20 minutes trying to work this light thing out and it was all overexposed or it just wasn't what I imagined? And does that still happen today? Well, I think failure is the biggest success. So when you try something and you screw it up or it doesn't work out how you planned, you're going to learn so much more out of that than if it did work. I guess a bit of a tangent, but I watched this like I'm a bit of a sucker for like trashy kind of thriller movies and whatever, like B, C, D grade. (laughs) And you see with those films, like it stands out so clearly when something doesn't work. It's like you learn more about filmmaking watching bad movies than good ones, you know. But that's maybe a little bit of a tangent. But I guess in regards to lighting and using off-camera flash, you need to know how to use your equipment. You don't want to be working out how your equipment works on a wedding day. That's certainly not kind of what, what I'm trying to say about playing and being creative. You need to know your craft. You need to know the ins and outs of your camera and any equipment that you're using. And so that is something that you need to do in your own time, not on the wedding day, in my opinion. But if you're starting out and you're not using fancy bits of kit like drones and lights and stuff, you've still got a camera in your hand and you're still going to be in a mode that you're used to operating in. So it could be as simple as switching out the lens that you usually use. If you're always shooting, you know, on on your 35 and that's just like your safe lens, just for a particular moment, you know, in throughout the day, just write on on your shot notes or just file it in your mind, try this lens instead. And it will force you out of that repetition and routine. And you'll see things in a different way. Mm, that's super interesting. I remember an exercise I did when I first started was who told me, but they said, if you lack confidence of approaching strangers, drop the focal length on your camera. And as you grow more confident, keep going further and further down. So whatever it is, 85, 50, 35, 24, 16, and you can't be unconfident by putting a 16 mil camera in, in random's faces. So exactly. like you've built, you've built yourself and your skill set along that journey. But rather than going into my tangents, Eric, so you spoke about inspiration 
where do you find you get your inspiration from? You said you don't generally look at other wedding photographers. It looks like you've created this style that's definitely not a, a duplicate of what we all see today or the trend. So where do you get your inspiration? Well, yeah, so there's a few different facets to, to this. Like we've already talked about, I tend to avoid looking at wedding photography as much as I can. Of course, I can't fully, you know, avoid it. Mm. Even my partner Katie's a wedding photographer, so we look at each other's work. Close friends, you know, tend to keep an eye on what they do and support each other. Some close friends, we make a point. There's like almost like an unspoken pact that we don't look at each other's stuff. So there's that. You know, it's funny because you, you said uh, part of this uh, podcast was, you, you know, giving you three things. Anyway, we'll touch on that later, but mm. we're kind of touching on some of this stuff now. But what I wrote down is you are what you eat. By that, I mean what you consume is going to be what you create. So to use the analogy of you are what you eat, if you eat Maccas three meals a day, seven days a week, your body is going to not be running in the best possible way, is it? Mm. If you consume a variety of different foods, it's going to nourish you and have all those positive benefits. But enough about diet. Like as far as photography, I think that wedding photography, creatively speaking, can be a bit incestuous because we can't help but be on Instagram. We can't help but look at other wedding accounts. And it tends to be, yeah, a little bit creatively incestuous, if that's okay to say. And so I guess to combat that is to kind of, yeah, cut it out of your diet. Then what do you cut into your diet? And the answer is everything but wedding photography. So what inspires me, I, I try and avoid screens as much as I can. As you know, we spend so much time looking at screens, doing what we do as photographers, but also just the way life is now. To get off the screen is a real treat for me. So I guess my biggest inspo that I kind of look at probably every single day is art books, whether it's painters or photographers. Yeah, kind of a combination of those two specifically, really. That is just such a special treat for me to get away from the screen, put on a record and flick through printed photographs or beautiful paintings. That's just nourishes my soul in such a genuine way. It's not like, oh, I need to inspire myself. It's no, I actually want to look at this stuff. And it's such a special treat when I do. Music, you know, I spend a lot of time in the car and you're listening to a whole range of music inspires me in so many different ways. Whether it's like my guilty pleasure of Drake, even Drake's lyrics <laughs> to me just like resonate. Some don't, of course, but some do. Like I, I really dig his attitude of even just his his world and his unique life. He's got a really cool perspective to share. But, you know, even going into the lyrics of Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen where there's real depth and complexity and metaphor and vulnerability and emotion and there's just, you know, such beauty. And, and I guess being a visual person listening to music, it just the movie starts playing in my head and, and I love that. It just inspires me so much. So. But also something we haven't, we haven't touched on too much is my background is actually in cinematography. So, you know, we can talk about that if we want to, but I still have such a love of cinema. And so, yeah, consuming movies is something that I, that I love to do. Consuming, it sounds like I'm eating movies. Watching movies <laughs> is something that I love to do, as a lot of us do. But, yeah, 
having a kind of a bit of a training and background in cinematography Mm -hmm. has inspired me a lot and still does, whether it's movies that are 20, 30 years old or movies that have just come out recently, even like 1917. Have you seen that yet? Oh, incredible, right? Yeah, like insane. And, you know, Roger Deakins is probably the greatest cinematographer ever and that was just an absolute stroke of genius and is just so, so inspiring on so many levels. Yeah, it's next level. The um, I actually watched a bit of behind the scenes on the nineteen seventeen, and the specific scene they were trying to get a candle to light someone's face, and he was talking about how the candles are generally lower than the human's face, and if it's at like eye level, it, it kind of is a weird element. And then they they did a hundred and forty prototypes of artificial candles to try and get the correct lighting to light the face without the face being so close to the candle and then they got it and i'm like wow like yeah. that, that is insane you know yeah. what i mean like talk about process of elimination like 140 prototypes for a candle there's a lot more in a scene when you watch that movie than the candle there's so many uh different directions we can mm. take it from there but the thing that i really like is that i guess with my what i do with wedding photography it's a very internal thing and I think as I've gotten older the ego is just kind of dissolved away mm. more and more and it's just about making stuff that makes me happy that makes my couples happy and perfection and dedication can be so satisfying and I guess to go back to Roger Deakins is like mucking around with a candle in a warehouse for weeks on end he didn't need to do that He did it because he wanted to, that he wanted to make it perfect and he wanted to make something beautiful. And it's not about getting an Academy Award. It's about the warm and fuzzy feeling he gets inside when he sees it and goes, yeah, that candle is the one that I want. (laughs) That look is it. And maybe so much so that no one else will notice except him. And Mm. I think that's where there's, you know, people do wedding photography for a whole bunch of different reasons, but if you're for real with this thing and this is your art and this is your expression, that you're going to find the equivalent of that dedication naturally through your passion for it. I love your approach, mate. I love how you just play with it and, um, yeah, you're not stuck in this kind of routine thing. I want to just jump in a little different route here. You said Katie's your partner and she's also a wedding photographer, right? Yeah, that's right. So Katie Harmsworth and um, yeah, she's an incredible wedding photographer. Yeah. And do you guys work together or you got separate businesses? We have separate businesses. Mm-hmm. We've been a couple for about four or five years and we both do destination stuff. So we tend to just kind of help each other out when we can. And, you know, it's been funny because we're both very passionate about what we do and we're used to kind of operating in a certain way. And, you know, we kind of had to learn how to help each other, you know. It's like sometimes it's less is more when you're helping the other person out. Do you guys shoot together at all? Like if I, you know, if a couple booked you and they wanted two photographers um, and Katie's free, does she jump in and you guys kind of jam together? Yeah, yeah. Like it's it kind of work it out on a case-by-case basis and it's still kind of evolving. But yeah, we do definitely shoot together. Yeah. I love that. And then you can just bounce off each other with ideas. Has she got a similar approach to yourself, Yeah. Uh, no, I would say she's different. No. You know, of course, we're probably under a certain umbrella in wedding photography. But no, like she does have a, a more, obviously, more feminine approach. But I would say a different approach in general. And it's funny you said, you know, it's bouncing ideas of each other. And we've found that no, we actually 
don't do that. And that's not good for us. (laughs) (laughs) Because ultimately it's a precious thing what we do and things can get in your head. Like even I don't use second shooters much at all. My insecurities can flare up a little bit where I feel like, you know, I'll be seen for the fraud that I am if someone's watching me and, and carrying my bags for me or taking other shots. It's a delicate, vulnerable thing. And so it's, it, we have to kind of tread lightly, I guess. So, yeah, that's something that Katie and I have had to kind of figure out for ourselves over years of helping each other out. It's really, it is helping the other person. If it's Katie's wedding and I'm helping, it's really about keeping my mouth shut and carrying bags and assisting. You know, if you start pointing out a bit of light that you like, it can kind of get in your head and go, well, I didn't see that. Does that mean I don't know what I'm doing? And, oh, my God, I'm a fraud. And before you know it, you're crying in your car in the car park. <laughs> you're wondering who should be shooting the wedding, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not supposed to be here, man. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Hey, um, I want to jump into a, a couple last questions for you, Eric. Equipment-wise, I mean, from your portfolio, it looks like you use off-camera flash. You, you've kind of got a lot going on. So can you give the listener a bit of a rundown of how you one creating this cinematic photographs that I'm looking at your Instagram now, very neon tones and then drones and all of this? Well, yeah. So I guess constantly trying new things and and keeping fresh creatively. Of course, you don't have to have all these new toys and gear. You can do it just with the same old gear you've been using for years. But you know, it can be fun to just try different things with with new toys. But I mean I guess, you know, I use my Canon DSO, the um, Mark IV, 5D Mark IVs, and I use a whole bunch of prime lenses. I don't use zooms. We've probably all kind of heard plenty of conversations about why photographers do that, and I'm kind of on board with that as well, especially with the background in cinematography. I think that each focal length communicates something differently, mm-hmm. and that is a big, long conversation to have that maybe I'll just skip over now. But... I guess also equipment-wise, the drone has been a lot of fun. It's a new perspective, isn't it? And it's interesting to see what what other people are doing with drones as well. But for me, I like it even even just like establishing shots or landscape shots. If it's a destination wedding and it's a, some aerial shots of over a forest or the ocean, it can really create a sense of place and and establishing it and and getting unique shots that you wouldn't otherwise be able to take with the drone, which is a lot of fun. And what else gear wise, I guess, yeah, off camera flash is something that I do enjoy playing around with and probably has been the biggest change visually to my work since I started was probably introducing flash equipment, not just speed lights, but, you know, pro photo gear with, beauty dishes and soft boxes and all that kind of stuff and colored gels. And yeah, it's, it's a funny thing because, you know, wedding photography in the nineties was a very polished, refined, kind of perfect, if you like, kind of approach, or at least some of it, the, the top end stuff. And I think people still associate flash in wedding photography to that era. And as a result can be kind of attributed to some of the more cliche kind of cheesy stuff and I really I mean of course it doesn't need to be that way and of course I think there's new ways that we can incorporate flash into wedding photography in ways that we've never seen before so I'm really excited to play with that because it is new territory I think you know using flash in new exciting ways I'm not really expressing myself well right now but there's some new territory to be kind of charted I think 
Mm, it's really interesting. So I know a lot of your work though, Eric, is in destinations, right? Like how do you go about taking all of this equipment with you or do you kind of select what you need for a specific wedding? Well, it's actually, it's funny because with gear now, it's like drone wise, the Mavic 2 Pro is about the size of a lens. So mm. that's not that big. And then with the Pro Photo gear, it's incredible how, like the Pro Photo B10 is also about the size of a lens. And then they've got their OCF modifiers, which pack up incredibly small. So I can have all the equipment that I would ever want in my suitcase on a destination wedding, and it's not crazy. And do you always take the full set with you to each wedding? Definitely local stuff I do, and I would trim things down a little bit for destination work. But, yeah, I I tend to want to have plenty of options and don't want to limit myself too much, even if it is a destination wedding. So, yeah, I'll I'll bring plenty of stuff still. Love it. I love it. Hey, mate, this chat is too good. I want to finish off, though, Eric, with um, a couple of three questions that we mentioned earlier. Can you share three implementable things that you think photographers can do now to one, increase their skill, business, et cetera, right now? What are three things you think they could do? Well, it's really, yeah, definitely. And it's funny because it just touches on stuff that we've naturally ended up speaking about, which is kind of cool. But yeah, the question is three things photographers can do now to level up their business slash photography. And that's where maybe I'm a little bit different because I've never really seen myself as a business person. I'm a photographer. And so any business success that I've had has just come naturally through being a passionate photographer. So I just kind of wanted to preface it with that. For sure. So these three points, I mean, there's stuff that we've already talked about, but I did them in a dramatic countdown from three, two to one. So (laughs) number three is... Drum roll. Yeah, exactly. Is you are what you eat, which we touched on earlier. So seek out and consume art that inspires you. I think that is so, so important and don't do it as homework. Find work that you love, that you want to consume, that you want to listen to, that you want to watch, that you want to look at. It is going to be out there and I think that if you look at it as homework, then you're going to have all the negative associations that surround homework. You're not going to want to do it. So find work and consume it that really inspires you and that hits you. And it's going to be different for every single person out there. Mm. As part of that point, you may want to dial back how much wedding photography you're consuming. It is going to be going back to that you are what you eat. The stuff that you look at, if your inspiration is wedding photography on Instagram, that's what you're going to create. So just being mindful of that and potentially, you know, cutting it back if you think that's a good idea for you. You probably wanted three little tight points here, but I, just to kind of continue on that tangent, just very briefly, because I just chucked it on, on a note here. For sure. Van Gogh is a really cool example because he's obviously one of the greatest painters ever. I love his work and it, it's so beautiful and so inspiring and it's so uniquely his style. I'm sure he kept an eye, an eye out on what other Impressionist painters did. He's going to know what other artists were up to at the time, sure. But that wasn't his inspiration. And they had a, an exhibition here in Melbourne a few years ago and it was based on, it had a few of his pieces, but it also had some of his art collection there. And his main inspirations were traditional Japanese prints, so the beautiful old artwork, you know, the ones of the epic waves with Mount Fuji in the background, all that kind of traditional Japanese art. 
and pointillism. And if you look at those, they, it's like in their own right, you cannot see Van Gogh's work. But if you look at those, all of the things that inspire him and then look at his work, you're like, oh, my God, that's how he created this incredible, unique style that is so trademark Van Gogh. But you can see the, the inspiration there from those two kind of very different genres of art. I think it's a good example, I guess, is why I mention it. Mm, for sure. Another way to look at that same point. Sorry, I'm crapping on too much about it. But no, I love it. Another way to look at it, and it's something Ollie Sanson and I did a, a workshop together many years ago, and we kind of threw around this phrase, curating your taste. And that's another way of kind of looking at this very same point is that taste and creativity go hand in hand. And it, taste is something that really comes down to what you're choosing to consume. So, yeah, that's just another way of wording, something that I already touched on. For sure. Love that. The dramatic countdown continues to point two. <laughs> Hone your craft. So, like we talked about, it's one thing to play an experiment on a wedding day, but you also need to know the ins and outs of your equipment. And, you know, in this day and age, there's nothing you can't learn online now. You know, that if you don't know how to use the menu of your camera, you can very quickly find out on YouTube or whatever it might be. So not only is there the kind of the technical skills, but there's also some theory as well and that we can kind of educate ourselves about. You know, in photography, there's a whole bunch of different genres of photography, all with very different theories behind them. And the more that we can educate ourselves on those different theories, we can kind of put them in our toolkit and it could be a certain part of the wedding day where we can kind of draw on street photography um, inspiration by looking at, at street photography as well, but also understanding a little bit of the theory behind it as well means that we can kind of execute those shots even better. Fashion photography, portrait photography, there's so many different philosophies, landscape, fine art, and the more that we can kind of understand some of the theory behind it, we can better reproduce it ourselves and kind of be inspired by that. Love that. And then the dramatic number one is something that we kind of have touched on a bit in our chat, but it's just to be accountable to yourself is that it's one thing to hone your craft and, and kind of keep yourself inspired with other work. But I've found that I've needed to kind of really force myself to be accountable. And, and we've really already talked today about in a really tangible sense how I do that is by making time to, to research and plan and prepare before a wedding and making some time to make a few notes of some ideas and concepts to try. And yeah, that's how I, like in a really tangible sense, how I keep accountable. Mate, Eric, this is just blowing me away. Hey, this last hour, honestly, mate, is I could, I've definitely got to do a follow-up interview with you. I know the listener out there is just dying to, you know, you're, you're making me feel that spark of creativity and want to play and, I've always been one to suffer from trying to come up with a personal project and then feeling the burden that it's not really something I'm passionate about because I love shooting weddings. And now I'm just like, yes, like I love this, mate. So I appreciate everything you've said. I just want to acknowledge you for what you've done as well Eric, in the industry and, and what you share is just so open and honest to everyone listening out there, mate. You're an inspiration by doing things your own way. And sharing your knowledge along the way. So completely appreciate everything you've spoken about. Oh, that's very kind, man. Thanks so much for the kind words. And 
yeah, it means a bunch. And and just to be asked to to have these kind of chats, you know, I tend to to lay pretty low and just kind of keep my head down and just make stuff that I like making. And so, yeah, it's a real honor to have a chat with you today. And yeah, thanks so much. Pleasure. We're so glad you have taken the time to tune in. If you found this episode useful, why not share it with a friend and be the light someone may need? Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This would mean so much to us. Ryan would love to connect with you beyond this episode. The links to everything and anything that was spoken about are in the show notes at www.escapingtheordinarypodcast.com. Talk to you next week.